about to enter a world of pain, suffering, and laughter. But you dreamed that you were smelling garbage outside your house. I dreamed I was smelling garbage in my house. You know when you hear that, when you have that dream or you hear about that dream, (laughs) it's worst gig ever. Hey guys, I'm Mike Pace. I'm Jeff Garlock. And this week is the apposite, apposite, not even a word, is the opposite opposite of smelling like garbage. It's Khaki King. Khaki King. Who is... A virtuoso. She Mm -hmm. is a singular guitar player, amongst other things. Yep, and was a gem. The the type of music she plays, we haven't really delved into on the podcast. It's sort of a little bit outside of our milieu, but she's out of sight. She was fantastic. I loved talking to her, loved the stories, loved the conversation, loved that we were able to start getting some new age talk going. Oh, with a lot of Wyndham Wyndham Hill Hill. talk on this. If you're not familiar with Khaki's music, how do you describe this? I I really like it, but I I really still don't know exactly how to describe it. I mean, it it, it involves, especially her older stuff, a lot of double tapping, but not in an Eddie Van Halen way, but in an Eddie Van Halen way. Like, it's circular that's it's how i describe it oh. circular music like i it's hard to wrap your brain around in a good way a lot of it is instrumental guitar if you're a fan of like leo kotke or john fahey yeah might be a good reference point but she also right. does stuff with vocals she's done collaborations with the dude from tortoise and the guy from the mountain goats yeah a whole lot there's of like a slight stuff m- like minimalist classical terry riley vibe in the way she plays but and people like, love her and people love her and including us yes and if you love this one we have some great some of the recent episodes we've done liberty devito billy joel's uh drummer of 30 years chris kane from we are taylor negron taylor negron a lot of great recent episodes and a lot of great episodes in the entire catalog You go to worstgigeverpodcast.tumblr.com. You can check them out there. Check them out on iTunes, Facebook, Stitcher Radio. Leave us some feedback, some ratings, reviews. Get in touch at worstgigeveragmail.com. Mm-hmm. Tweet at us at ggarlock, at Mikey Pace, at worstgigever. We would love to hear from you. It's all yeah. there. If you want to check out what we look like, check out our web series at uh, youtube.com backslash official comedy. Look up Worst Gig Ever. You'll see us there. If you realize that you just want to go back to listen to us, do it on those tweaked audio headphones. That's right. If you go to tweakedaudio.com, enter the promo code WORST, W-O-R-S-T, you will get one third off of your order of a pair of fucking great headphones. Can't beat that fucking deal. <laughs> we we love tweaked audio. We love you. We love Khaki King. We love the fact that my dog, Baptiste, just brought in a tennis ball. Really brought and, it together, And Baptiste. essentially said in dog language, play with me. We're going to play with your ears right now. Here's <laughs> Khaki King. And worst gig ever. Bites, bites, bites. Yep. Well, this gig, the preceding gig was one of the best gigs. I mean, this is this is why this story is great. So I was in Ann Arbor, Michigan. I want to say it's about two thousand and four. 
Um, and I had just, I'd, I'd done a lot of touring, but mainly opening, almost entirely opening for other people, um, prior to this. And, uh, I had sold out this joint called The Ark in Ann Arbor. Really nice, beautiful performing space. And, you know, like a sellout crowd. It was amazing. And so the next day, I'm in my personal car that I've, you know, gotten like driven up from Atlanta, like parked in New York, started a tour with it all over. Now we're in the Midwest and um, we, I remember I had this great tour manager. Her name is Holly Flatman and she's just this big buxom blonde chick. She's amazing. (laughs) And she and I were, you know, we're going, uh, so what do you what do you want to uh, have for breakfast? And I was like, I don't know. Bam. And we got hit by a car from behind. Oh, and it was this kid. I, I don't, I'm not going to say his name, but uh, <laughs> he, he hit us and rear-ended us. And But it was one of those slow-mo kind of – because we – we were parked behind, we were waiting in traffic behind a, uh, minivan full of furniture. <laughs> so that didn't go anywhere, right? The, furni- <laughs> the furniture went through its window and that glass shattered all over our window. So we thought glass was everywhere when it wasn't. But the front of my car was an absolute accordion. Eesh. And we just kind of were like floating off to the side of the streets. We were, we were kind of knocked out by it all. Right. So, um, we, Get out of the car. It's, it's a, it's a pretty, you know, ugly wreck and there's a lot of people involved. Um, but we're like, all we can think about is how do we get to the next gig? The next gig is in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And that's all we knew, which okay. is a sort of strange-ish yeah. place. It's very, you know, the mid- Midwest is not, um, well, anyway. <laughs> Let's get to it. Yeah, it's a gamble, exactly. But but, but like I, you know, you can really you can hit an amazing, cool college town. Mm -hmm. It can be really small, or you hit, you know, it's sort of it. It's uh, there's a lot of diversity Mm -hmm. in the U.S. I think a lot more than people realize, but it is like that kind of hit or miss thing. So um, even within a city. So, uh, we get the car gets towed. We had friends in town that like picked us up and took this, you know, we're like at their house. We're just thinking how, you know, we got to get to Fort Wayne, you know, mm-hmm. like was got- it that night you yeah. had to be, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, uh, I can't remember, like I was in a wreck, right? So I, the promoter of the, no, 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 that's not true. It was the next day. So you had a day. To I get had there. a day. And how yeah. f- how many hours away were you? It wasn't that far. I mm-hmm. mean, it, it's the, it, it was probably a good five or six. Okay, right. Yeah. But it wasn't like a thirteen or anything. So I'm just trying to recall this because it was really hard to remember because I was, you know, I'd been in a car wreck and I was I was hurt. I had a really bad whiplash. We both did, and um, we uh, I believe we must have ended up renting a car. Yeah. Um. So we get in our rental car. Stayed over in Ann Arbor just to make sure things were okay. I had to, you know, suddenly now my car that I own personally is going to be in <laughs> Ann Arbor, Michigan getting, right. you know, dealt with with the insurance. And, and I'm, we're just so into like being on tour. And all we knew about this next gig is there's a, we had, I had been to Fort Wayne once before to play a house concert and it was very nice, really pleasant, very cool people. Like, you know, it, it was really comfortable and it was the same man, like the same promoter who's a very nice, nice guy. Um, so we get up the next day. We're in absolute pain. <laughs> like, it, hurts, it hurts so bad yeah. with lash. It's, it's frightening. But we're like, get on the road. So we get on the road and um, we 
stop at an Arby's and <laughs> <laughs> wait. I just one other question: Was any anything damaged? Like any of your gear? The damaged? gear was fine. Everything, okay. mm-hmm. Everything was was fine. Our our gear was okay. It's funny that what there was no damage to the back of the car. This kid hit us. He just wasn't looking and didn't realize there was traffic up right. stopped ahead yeah. of him. So he just hit us. And in the the frame of his car lined up exactly with the frame of my car. The only damage to the back of my car were the dents from his license, sure, okay, from right. the bolts on his license, <laughs> <laughs> and then the front of my car was an accordion. So you know, I'm 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 beginning to get very distressed because I'm you know I'm, I'm dealing with insurance and sure. people who. I'm like, I, you know, and like, it looks like my car is going to be totaled, which right. I don't want because I love this car. Mm-hmm. And what was it? It was a Toyota Avalon, but it was this, it was an older model that my dad had got. Like, it wasn't my first teenage car or anything, but it was just this big sedan that mm-hmm. was, re- you could pack a ton of stuff into it. I love that it had a trunk because when you're yeah. on tour and you like, if you have windows people can see into, it's yes. a lot more yeah. dangerous. Yeah. So like having this, I could fit all my guitars in the trunk, lock it up. No one was peering into my car. To, you know, I could park it anywhere. It was just a, and it looked. Perfect touring It car. really was. And, and this it, is it really just looked, you and, the, and your, yeah, your friend is tour managing. Yeah, and the friend. Okay. Yeah. You know, it was just a very, very small operation. Mm-hmm. So we get in the rental car and, um, you know, I'm starting to like take it and, and Internet and cell phones weren't awesome at this yeah. point. Yeah. Like there was no smartphones, so there's no like checking. You know, I, I couldn't like get my email on my phone, which sounds so weird. The print out like yeah, MapQuest. Yes. Oh yep. my god, we can talk about that. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. 2004 that, was our for Oxford Collapse first U.S. tour, so it was all MapQuest yeah, printouts. Yeah. Like, and I like, cannot believe. Yeah. And then, but then we would say, "What do people do before MapQuest?" So you know, like obviously <laughs> right. we've been they able to maps. get around. Yeah. 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 So. Um, so we stop at the Arby's and I get, and I, <laughs> because it's the Midwest and there's not, you know, whatever. When you're on the road, options are, are exactly. limited. You take what you get. And I thought that the, I liked the sign. It They had a like new chicken walnut, <laughs> like a chicken salad with walnuts. You like the big like cowboy apple. hat or the, well, they the had boot a nice, sign at the time? They had a nice sign <laughs> that showed me this new uh, oh, I see. chicken okay. salad. Tantalizing chicken walnut salad. Yeah, well, it just didn't look yeah. as bad as some of the other yeah. right. things. So I thought, I can eat a chicken salad sandwich. So I stopped <laughs> and ate a chicken salad sandwich. And I'm really in a lot of pain. And I'm just not feeling great in general about everything. So... <laughs> We roll up and wh- now I have been, I, I heard a, like a little bird at some point told me, oh, by the way, this venue sometimes operates as a church, <laughs> but it's not, it, it's so, it's cool. And I was like, sounds cool. No, I mean, like it, yeah. don't worry, but like, yeah. it, like as in it's a, it's an open space yeah. and yeah. sometimes a meeting, like it's whatever. It's used for religious it's functions. It's used for Sundays, whatever. And yeah. I'm like, okay, I don't care. It's an all purpose so space. Yeah. We get there and it is a sort of, uh, like a, like a, gr- like a warehousey garage space yeah. that absolutely is a church like uh. that day <laughs> and not only is it a church i mean like we the the pastor of said church is going to introduce me and the pastor of said church apparently wanted to be like the next mega church 
person. Like he was into that kind of, of preaching. And therefore, even though in this, it wasn't a very enormous space, but he had three jumbotron screens behind Jesus the stage Christ. nonetheless. <laughs> like, and you know, and the volunteers are, they're all volu- volunteers, yeah. uh-huh. you know, like in quotations, mm-hmm. whatever that means. And they're, you know, and we had, Okay, so how do I, you know, so <laughs> back this up. So I've already, you know, so my car has been total, like, this is a terrible day, but we're so excited that we, like, made it. Like, yeah. the road warriors, like, nothing can stop <laughs> us. We're just going to deal with it, you know, and we get there and we're like, oh, God, we really <laughs> wish we had stayed in Ann Arbor because this is turning out to be not so great. Yeah. And I am starting to not feel good uh, in a big <laughs> way. Arby's chicken salad yeah. sandwich coming back to haunt you. <laughs> like, really not feel good. And... um. And like when you are sick, that stuff can come on really rapidly. Sure. And when you're Special getting up to showtime, you're not sure whether like do I allow myself to go on stage <laughs> right. and potentially get sicker? Like what's going to happen? Mm-hmm. So I am really not feeling okay. I do the sound check, and I do remember having to request. I was like, "Can we please play secular music?" Like, uh-huh. <laughs> well, let me ask: were, were there people there to see you, or was it like the church congregation? Well, that was like- this sort of hard thing to tell. You know, again, this is early <laughs> on in my career. I didn't uh-huh. have a ton of Midwest fans. Right. I had played a Lovely House concert, yeah. which had gone really well, but this was different. This was like you show up and you pay. I do not believe that there are many Khaki King uh-huh. fans in Fort Wayne at the <laughs> right. time. Um, if you are from Fort Wayne and listening now, I'm happy to come back. This but one's this, for you. This one, yeah, but at the time, this was just really. It, I don't. I don't know who was there. I. I. There were not that many people, but yeah. the people that were there were. You know, it. It was clearly now. I do know that they do have music concerts that are not religiously affiliated. However, this was not. There was no separation of church and venue right. at this point. So. I, uh, but I am pushing through. There is not, nothing is going to stop me. And I'm not going to let this weird church thingy get me down, even though I'm like this giant homo atheist <laughs> from New York, you know, on stage. The power of Jesus. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm just like, you know, just play the gig. It's a gig. Just, and I'm not feeling well at all. And I get up on stage and I am, and I remember walking on stage and I was, and I didn't, they didn't have a chair. They had stools for me. Yeah. And I normally like chairs mm-hmm. for just various reasons. But you know, when you're feeling bad, you like to be able to lean back on something. So I'm on this <laughs> stool and I am just like, I am not feeling okay. And, and I remember the room started spinning like as I'm walking on stage, Ugh. I made it through about 40 minutes of music, which was a lot yeah. because <laughs> I, was about to, it, I mean, it was going to get seriously <laughs> ugly. And about 30 seconds later, it was so <laughs> awful. And I have whiplash. Oh. It was really bad. I have food poisoning from Arby's that is coming out both ends. <laughs> I'm, I'm running. I mean, I had a really bad fever and right. like clearly at this yeah. point, like I'm shaking and I'm freezing to death. And I, you know, um, and I kind of hid from the pastor because I heard he was introducing me. And I think on another day I would have had the wherewithal to be like, okay, this is actually not what I'm about. This is not, I'm not a religiously affiliated person. I don't feel comfortable with, you know, I, I right, would have uh-huh. been able to advocate for something sure. different, but I was so ill. And so deter, I was so stubborn. <laughs> I was like, nothing's going to stop me from the playing road warrior this spirit. music yeah. to these people. And, um, and it really came crashing down on me. So, um, 
so, you know, I excused myself from the stage, which is, I, I mean, it's kind of a miracle that I was able to make it through that much <laughs> and was really, really sick. And we were staying at the Holiday Inn, which I believe was next door, uh-huh. close by. And my torment, I mean, really, like, I was so sick that she was thinking about taking me to the hospital, but she got me up to the room. She got me, you know, we, I, <laughs> it was like, for whatever reason, it was this weird, hotel with we got the jacuzzi suite but (laughs) i don't know why but the jacuzzi wasn't like it was like a big shallow like a kiddie pool Uh (laughs) uh-huh it i feel like it was shaped like a clam or some (laughs) like seafood and i remember just sitting in it in this giant like sort of tepid water like in and out of my fever (laughs) and my whiplash and my like oh god it was so awful and then holly my tour manager, uh, she says, okay, I'm going to go downstairs just to hang out at the bar. I'm right here. You know, we did have phones, so you know, you seem to be okay. So she comes back with this amazing story, which is that the owner and proprietor and pastor of this, this, this mini mega church, <laughs> uh-huh. whatever. By the way, like, not to min, I, fr- I failed to mention that during the, the performance that I did get through, there were the jumbotrons were running and the volunteer <laughs> staff were filming me and it's like I'm right here and right. then you have to watch a screen of me right there like it, I'm right here you know I'm not 40 feet away from you people right. are you like so, sweating from oh, the I'm, like it's just <laughs> awful it's so bad I don't even remember I mean yeah. I really I really I really should call Holly we should we should recount this together because it, I was so sick you just yeah, and, right. and prior to that I'd had a car accident right so my brain nothing's yeah. functioning nothing's working and um so she's <laughs> she says <laughs> that that the uh proprietor actually is the what he really does for a living is he owns the the big crematorium in town <laughs> and she was getting a lot of information from a from an insider let's say uh, in, uh, yeah who i think worked at at the place and then she said yeah and you know like she just <laughs> She's like, I'm so, I'm still sick, but she's telling me the story and she's trying to make me feel better. And she says, yeah, well, the guy said, you know, sometimes they have like really, like it's, it's America and sometimes really obese people, you know, come in. And, and he said they just had someone that was six, 600 pounds, and, which is really dangerous because you're burning a lot of flammable yeah, sure. stuff. And it's like this whole, and I was like, <laughs> like, why are you, God? Why are you telling me this? And then, and then I, and I'm so sick that I go, Holly, wait. So this, who? It was a person that had died like with relatively young, but they're yeah. 600 pounds, like yeah. you know. And I said, what did they die of? And Holly looks at me and goes, jogging. Like <laughs> there are 600 pounds. Yeah, <laughs> like, you you're, go you're so you can go back to bed. Oh. So that. That kind of sums up that particular story. That's, that is us. terrible. That's a bad on one. On a lot of levels. Because you have the, I mean, that's bad because you have the pre-show. <laughs> yeah. The, you yeah. have an accident in there. Yeah. Involving physical, what happened to the car? Did you have the to pick it up on the way back? Got rep- the car was about $5 away from being totaled and I said, fix it. I love that yeah. car, fix it. And they did. But it was like $6,000 worth. So of did you like essentially? So what happened th- is I actually had someone fly out later on. It took forever. I mean, it took like right. two months to fix my car. Right. So I had okay. someone fly out and drive it back. Wow. But and so- you've got, at least for me, like you've got, so you got on top of it, you got the stress of just thinking about that. Like yes. if you've got a free oh, yeah. moment in your mind, yeah. it'll be like, oh, yeah, oh and I've also got this car. Yeah. The, the inappropriate venue. 
Very inappropriate. Which is, which is, That's which a is classic. With the like, just dealing with, you know, is this audience, uh, do, are they into, are they here? Like, what's yeah, going on Yeah, why are they here? here? Yeah. Who's here? And they then, get grifted somehow. Were there any other musical uh, acts? Like, on the, was it just you playing? I like, can't remember. Yeah. I mean, I, re- I, re- I remember being in an office. It wasn't really a proper back. Maybe or what? No, I don't think so. I was, but I was in some sort of office, and I was so cold. <laughs> I was shivering under a blanket. And whether the music playing outside was an opening act or right. a regular yeah, music, I mean, that's how sick I got. Yeah. Like yeah. I was really, it was really a dumb error to go right. on stage. Yeah, but yeah. again, I was just. I mean, also on top of it, you think like you know, Whiplash. You've probably hurt. Oh, I like, can't a move. bunch of random also I muscles you've never. My, oh yeah, and I dealt can't with. Turn my head. And yeah. then puking. Oh, uh, and not just you know, like, other things, I don't yeah. do it that often, but like when I do, I'm like, oh right, that oh, that so... fucks with certain yeah. muscles you don't yeah. think you're doing. So you just got, got like. It was yeah. the most amount. It was the most amount of crazy pain. Yeah. And then uh, staying in the Holiday Inn in the clamshell shape, tepid like, water, like the scene of Scarface, <laughs> like when he's in a hot tub, like it's surrounded by his wealth, but the opposite of the it, absolute like, opposite of that. It was holiday like, Inn. <laughs> yeah, this yeah, is this is this is now my life. That is a gr- that's a great worst gig. That's fantastic. And is like, but I, and I, I'm also curious about like the logistics of touring because I know that you've toured with a band and you tour you've toured mm-hmm. by yourself. Um, what's the scenario? Like in a band, is it a van deal or what do you guys? I've done, you know, I've done various things over the years. I've done a couple buses that I've shared. Mm-hmm. I've mainly, I like, I like Sprinter vans. I actually Sprinters are am not yeah. as a big a fan of buses as, unless it's like a, you know, it's just very, it's basically mm-hmm. impossible to get there otherwise because the bus rolls up to the wherever, to the day rooms. And then if you want to go anywhere, you got to get in a cab. Right. Yeah, you yeah. know? Right. And even a sprinter van is like, you can't, I, I, I got to say, I mean, I, I love it all, but the freedom of like me and another person or a couple people in like a minivan right. or, you know, an SUV or even something that just, you know, get, but, but we can go anywhere. So yeah, yeah. if we want to like take some little excursion, which is what touring becomes, you know, that's why it's fun. Of course. After, yeah. after a while, you know, it's really, it's, it's, you have a lot more options and, um, then, and that it really appeals to me. Yeah. Yeah. And will you, will you still like drive yourself around? Um, Sure. We yeah. mean to go to a gig, or no, or just like if you're if you if you if you guys like maybe on did you tour you toured solo recently? Yeah. Right. Well, you, you I just, was just like in California. Yeah. So you'll drive. You'll split. We split it up. It's. I mean, it. you know. Yeah, but <laughs> you you know, I usually kind of hand over the reins to whoever is is the appointed mm-hmm. uh, tour manager slash. I mean, I, I, I feel like I have a, a, a couple people in my life that are so highly competent and, yeah. <laughs> and just organized and incredible what they do that I let that's like, hey, if you want to keep driving, that's no problem with me. That added, for me, that would add on to the stress like towards the end of my old band Panthers just because mm-hmm. like, you know, we usually didn't have someone else with us and I didn't trust anyone else in the band uh, enough. Like, yeah. because I'm crazy and also they're crazy. So, like, yeah. I would just be like, no, I'll do the 12 hours. Like, yeah. I just feel more comfortable. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I I don't feel that way, but I do feel like I mean the people that I tour with Dan. I'll mention them. Dan Brannigan, um, who's been an incredible sound guy and musical collaborator and bandmate, and you know, it, uh, incredible support for a really long time. And then um, Anna Morset, who started off like as an intern at the record label, and then mm-hmm. became like then 
apprenticed with a guitar tech, like a, you know, guitar repair guy. It was this legend. And then she became my guitar tech when I started to do all these, you know, having six or seven crazy mm, guitars right. and these tunings. And so then she became like the, you know, general, um, tour manager, guitar tech, spiritual advisor. Yeah. And so I've been lucky because it's really hard to find people that you can coexist with on the road for that oh, long. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. But Definitely. I will say that the I think the more <laughs> like it's it for for whatever reason, the more compact, the better things go. Like it's yeah. like more people doesn't necessarily mean that more things get done. Yeah. Um yeah. I agree. I think even in, yeah, like even in the band I'm playing in now, there's talk of like, maybe we should get a second guitar. So I'm like, mm. like, just like, it's more people that will be a pain in the ass. Like, us, like, I like the smaller unit. Yeah. Like, I just like yeah. everything. Depends just like, on what, it depends on what your needs are for sure. But I, I don't know. It's like when there's a lot of responsibility put on everyone's shoulders, but everyone knows exactly what their job is. Right. And it's not like you do that today yes. and then you no. set up yeah. merch tonight like if the same person sets up the merch and breaks Definitely. it down and counts it out in the exact same way every single night you're actually going to probably be more effective yeah. at, right you know keeping all of that stuff because they're going to set up a system and Listen, a system that my, works for them like what's funny is anna gets on stage we bring the guitar we you know we, we load in the guitars we load in the cases that we have there's some there's some equipment for on stage and her equipment for off mm -hmm. and i always kind of piddle over and i try to take right. <laughs> take out stand <laughs> well like because i look like i'm just stare, right. staring yeah, at her doing nothing like i'm this lazy ass and the truth is though she has every single thing like the first case she opens is the first case she needs and this comes out and this gets put here and then she spikes this here and then the stands go out everything gets put yes. down in exact order and if i jump way. in there I, exactly <laughs> yes. she's like can you just not do that can you just <laughs> right. not touch anything just go Find the Wi-Fi for backstage. Yeah, right. Like, sure. Don't try to bundle cable. Yeah, don't, yeah. please. Don't mess up the system. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm like, but I want to help. She's like, you're helping by not helping. Right. Yeah, I, I, that makes yeah. total sense. He's just bungling it up. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I have, so it's safe to say that what you're doing is, uh, is unique and singular, mm -hmm. I would say. <laughs> And, eh, I don't know. I mean, well, I, I, you There's know. There's not a lot of people, but. There aren't a lot of people. And what I'm curious about is that, you know, I guess maybe sort of where you see yourself because, you know, my band, when, when my band was around, it was like we were, we were like an indie rock band and we were part of, you know, we were in Brooklyn and like, even though maybe we didn't feel completely connected to a scene in sure. quotes, like, there was there were a lot there you were other references exactly yeah. enough articles that will throw you in there whether <laughs> yeah. you think exactly. you are or not sure sure yeah. like brooklyn's happening and i'm just wondering like uh you know are you in like an island like what mm. what's your well, take on everything? you know i i'll say that as far as the solo guitar uh detuning that that aspect of my career i mean i i can trace that to very specific people very specific record labels you know, from John Fahey to Leo yeah. Kotke starting off. And then, you know, the like new age thing in the 80s with Will Ackerman and, and Wyndham Hill. Yeah. And, we you know, were talking yeah, about this I mean, right before you yeah, got it's here. It's a very specific, it's a very narrow genre. Yeah. That, yeah. And there's a lot of, um, I mean, look, it's solo guitar music. Like it's going to, if you turn it down to a low volume, it pretty much all sounds the same. Right. You no, know, no, it really, it, it's, mm -hmm. it's a nuanced yes. thing. Right. And it's, um, something that I think, uh, you take great pleasure in as a player and great pleasure in as a player who is listening. And then it kind of might start to trickle off a little bit, like your kind of level of commitment. Um, 
As far as the other stuff that I've done, you know, it has it it has been weird because because every record I've made, it's been me and a producer, and we've played all the instruments, mm-hmm. unless I we can't, so we hire mm-hmm. some strings, we hire some you know a drummer that's competent, whatever we need, um, with the exception of one record that I did do as a trio, and so. Um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I gotta say, like, there are times in my life where I go, like, why don't I have any friends? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? Like, why don't I have, you know, why I don't feel like I'm part of a scene? Mm-hmm. Um, there are a lot of other very cool solo guitar players out there. Um, you know, like Thomas Lieb and Andy McKee and, um, some people that are doing really, really great. But again, like, I'm sort of, I'm like, if, like Andy McKee, who's gotten like has like millions and millions of YouTube, you know, mm-hmm. views. He's sort of this like beautiful, kind, gentle, like almost generous player that sort of you know gives the audience this really clean, beautiful thing to hear. And I am the like angry, dirty, <laughs> like. <laughs> <laughs> totally not going to give you what you want. I'm going <laughs> to, you know, the minute you're happy with what I'm doing, I'm going to, you know, switch keys or change directions. It's sort of this, right. this, this thing for me. And I, um, you know, and I think that has also set me apart from these other fingerstyle guitar players because I'm kind of always trying to, I mean, I play a plastic guitar with a carbon fiber top. You know, I just right. break every rule and don't care. Um, but I think there's like a darkness inside of me, mm-hmm, <laughs> you know, yeah. that is really well expressed in music. So I don't have to express it any other, you know, it doesn't come out sideways. Um, and, uh, you know, but for the other, I don't know. I've, I've done a lot of other stuff. I've played in bands. I've, you know, been a singer songwriter ish. You know, I think that at some point, um, I'm just still learning. Yeah. You know, yeah. still figuring it out and what I want to do and what I like doing and what works and what doesn't and what's fun on stage, what's not, you know, what doesn't work in a studio. Um, you know, it's really interesting that you, that you brought up like the Wyndham Hill stuff. Um, cause I, you know, the, I think the Kotke and Fahey stuff was, mm-hmm. was, uh, initially what I had picked up on. Mm-hmm. Um, but Jeff and I both like lately have gone through a phase where, we're really interested in that intersection of like progressive rock and mm-hmm. new age music yep. and, and trying um, to find like, at least on Wyndham Hill, like the right records. Yeah. yeah. Because there's, there's, there's a lot of stuff that's garbage. Yeah. But yeah. We, oh. I mean, we were actually saying where it's like, Oh, I wonder if, you know, like cocky would be like, if it was 81, uh. like if you like would have been approached like as by <laughs> Wyndham Hill, just cause there are those certain records. I'm like, Oh wait, there's, yeah. there is actually a weird darkness in some of the, the good Wyndham That's Hill true. stuff. Yeah. Uh, and, and kind of like an interesting, le- like, you know, uh, and so yeah, like it's, it's, well, the, but the other thing that's interesting is that Wyndham Hill is not, I mean, maybe there's like this subsect of like where it's kind of getting cool again, you know, like mm-hmm. new age music in this weird sphere right. is like the hippest of the hip. But like, right. what was your introduction to that stuff? My dad. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I mean, I was listening to it in real time in mm-hmm. the 80s when I was like a little kid. The George Winston uh, mm. seasonal, right? Or more of the, the Yeah, Ackerman we stuff. definitely had that around. But, you yeah. know, my dad was really, he was cool. He was into everything. There really mm-hmm. wasn't, like, my dad wouldn't, my dad would never refuse to listen to music for, because it was associated with some icky lifestyle, you know, right. whatever. Or just, you know, or some kind of silly fad. You know, mm-hmm. my dad was really into the, 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 the basic, you know, is it music? Is it good? Mm-hmm. Do we like it? And, um, but, you know, my upbringing was like all the late 70s, Clash, Van Morrison, Fleetwood mm-hmm. Mac, you mm-hmm. know, like a lot of really interesting stuff was happening. And then 
those records started to come out. I think Michael Hedges' Breakfast in the Field was 81. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think Ariel so. Boundaries was 84, 83. Anyway, I was a little kid, so my dad, who just played music in the house constantly. I right. mean, the minute he came home, and we're talking like from LPs to reel-to-reel to whatever format it was, it was on, it was, he was the best DJ. There was always music in the house. And so, like, I remember... Like Alex Degrassi was my real, my big favorite because I thought he was the guy that had that that kind of mm-hmm. dark thing, and that he really took the guitar in the places that I, I don't know, like I just I really really loved him, and I started to listen to him again as a teenager, like thirteen, fourteen, as I was picking up the guitar, like you know, as a a new like as an adult, like no mm-hmm. one was forcing me to, you know. Yeah, right. And um, you wanted to, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to when I was a little kid, but it was still like I needed lessons and I had to play what they told me. But um, so I I realized that every song, like I knew every song on all of these records, <laughs> like I knew exactly what song was coming up the net, like I knew the record, but I hadn't heard them in ten years. But it's just that yeah. weird music yeah. memory thing. So it was uh, it was kind of it was amazing having this, these flashbacks. Yeah. Um. And then, in when you were in high school, um, did, were you did you start playing in bands? Did, yeah. did you start? What did you go through? Like phases? Like what, was, oh, what were you well, listening to then? You know, it's funny. Well, I kind of you know I was I grew up in Atlanta and I was this kid in the suburbs that I really I don't feel like I had any like real culture land mm-hmm. on me, and I needed to rebel. So I I decided that I didn't need to be, like. Atlanta was not the right place for me. Where I really needed to be was London. And (laughs) Uh I really needed to be like paying like a lot of attention to what kind of shoes I had and listening (laughs) to Blur. And I, you know, I just sort of decided that Britpop was this thing that I, that was what I was going to have that no one else was going to have. And I was how I was going to set myself apart. And really that led me down the path of like, you know. Oh, this guy Morrissey. And he used to be in this band called The Smiths. And they had this guitar player named Johnny Marr. And whoa, what the fuck was that? And mm-hmm. then, you know, and then from there, like, The Cure and Depeche Mode and the, all of the, you know, all I listened to was new wave stuff and then bounced back to, like, getting super into Stereo Lab and, you know, stuff like that. So I was really, you know, I didn't, I didn't have a big interest in grunge. I had right. a really big interest in, like, all of this. And, you know, but it, again, like, you start, it's like, oh, then you realize that Tchaikovsky, not only, and not only did he write the Nutcracker, which everyone knows, he wrote all of these amazing symphonies and these beautiful piano concertos. And so, you, you know, like it just, every new, it's like every day it was, I was opening a new door. Yeah. To, right. And, and so I, I really just started listening to absolutely everything. And was that also, were you listening to it? I mean, obviously out of enjoyment, but in relation to guitar playing? Yeah. Right? Well, you know, that's interesting because like I didn't, um, really discriminate like i always loved a, a good guitar player but the minute i'd hear a guitar solo i'd be like, like i just wasn't <laughs> you know wasn't a thing like right. i really liked good harmony and i uh-huh. really didn't care that much about melody in uh i mean like that doesn't really like johnny Marr when he would play he'd always play like in seconds and thirds and say like he'd always kind of have his harmony going along mm-hmm. i felt wi- yeah. or like the, har- the the way he harmonized his guitar with the bass line was the real reason that it worked so well and i was never i just didn't ever want to play or listen to a solo ever right. like and still don't honestly right. um so uh i don't know i mean what i was going to say though is that as my guitar playing got more like i started to 
changed tunings. I started to use different techniques. I started to kind of go in that solo guitar direction. Mm -hmm. Well, that wasn't really going to work socially, like to just hang out, right? (laughs) So I started, well, I'd always played drums kind of for fun, and I played in school band. Mm -hmm. And then I really was like, oh, I I get it. Like, I'm not going to be a guitar player. I'm going to be a drummer. Like, this is what... So I played drums and bass, and... That was my social life. Mm-hmm. That was my mm-hmm. my outside. I think I played guitar and fronted one band when I was a freshman in high school, and that was it. And then everything <laughs> else was like, I wanted, I don't, and I also I wasn't a natural leader, nor was I a natural follower. So it was really good for me to be a drummer. Yeah. Right. Was, right. You know, I was like, I'm going to show up, <laughs> right. lay down my beat, and we're not going to discuss it. Right. And that was sort of how I felt comfortable interacting with others. I was like, or just playing bass. Like, there's not, you're not going to dictate to me what I'm going to do. And right. I'm not going to, like, run roughshod over your song. I'm just right. going to be hanging out. And that was how I could, like, chill with people, have friends, talk music, mm-hmm. go to gigs. You know, that was that was it. But it, I just, but then again, you know, the solo guitar stuff was becoming more and more private. Mm-hmm. Like, this thing that I kind of did for, for kicks in my own time. Right. And then years later when people, like people literally would play drums. I'd be, I'd be playing drums in a band with them and they'd had no idea I even played guitar. Yeah. And I wasn't a great drummer. Yeah. Right. I just was a person that played drums. Right. <laughs> but I think I like the way, I mean, that's actually like the way, I don't know, even the way you just summed that up feels like possibly like somewhat the way that I approached playing bass for many years. It's like, cause as a bass player, like I felt like, in the bands I was in, I was like driving the band a huge amount, but also was never like uh, in the front. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, I still was like play, like, I mean, it's just the way I end up playing. You're an integral like, part. You yeah, need the like, bass. I, I didn't ever like play bass. Like, I'm just like, just keeping the beat back here, man. Just walking <laughs> that line. But like, I would play it like half between guitar and bass, but because like I wanted to be driving the song and be the workhorse there. Yeah. But I never wanted to talk to anyone. Or yeah. deal with anyone. I, I, you know, Years of being I, on tour, I hated like the social <laughs> aspect of it. Yeah. Uh, See, I liked being part of the hang. Right. And I didn't like being part of the like, w- what kind of logo should we use for our posters? And what yeah. I, I hated that. I hated right. the promotion. I hated yeah. the like delusion that we were actually going to be famous. Like yes. I just wasn't interested. I wanted to play music and do gigs and have mm-hmm. fun and like kind of have someone else carry the weight. And surprisingly, when when I you know I really did not like the limelight and it took me a long time to get used to that. Like I played my first gigs in New York City with, I believe I played them in a movie theater with like something being projected onto me to cover it up because I just wasn't, I really, I was not comfortable. I wasn't comfortable speaking on stage. So I would like go through an entire gig without talking and then people just thought I was this weird, like they didn't know that I wasn't, that I didn't know that I I was shy. They thought I was just being some sort of. It's a big thing. I mean, I've real, I'm realizing that now because, you know, I've spent many years doing comedy now, but and like, you know, teaching it and, but like even in there, it's like the bass player role where like (laughs) I I teach writing and I Uh do sketch writing Mm -hmm. for other people. And then the past couple of years been like, oh wait, like I want to be in the limelight myself a little but it is harder because you have that mental thing of like oh i've been in bands whatever i get on stage it doesn't matter but then when you're like all of a sudden like oh wait now it's just on me yeah it's stressful and like i yeah like like yeah i should do a sketch where i just have a production in front of me (laughs) (laughs) well what's interesting is that you know we went to college together we did not know each other uh but um 
you know, you're getting, I guess, getting over the shyness and stuff that you played at our graduation. I did. On stage. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm trying to think of how that happened because I remember writing a song and, of course, at Gallatin there was a lot of, you know, it was all like cross-referenced everything. So you could technically write an instrumental song about, you know, medieval philosophy or whatever it was. <laughs> and I, but I, I played it for a, I played it in a class and I don't know why. I think it was sort of like, uh, take, what, what are your other talents? Bring them to class today. So I brought my guitar and <laughs> Show I played. and tell. Yeah. yeah. You know, really, it was so. For the listener, Gallatin is the school of individualized study at NYU mm-hmm. where you get a degree in individualized study yeah, it, at the end. And that can really mean anything. And yes. for me, it didn't mean a lot, but, no. <laughs> uh, I got to read a lot and I got to, you know, study enough music to help, but not enough to, that I had to be a music student, which I yeah. didn't want to be. Um, and, uh, and I think from there, that teacher must have, my name must have come up or they recommended someone, like, who can play, who can do a performance at the graduation? What makes sense? Mm-hmm. And I just was asked and I, and I did it. Yeah. And how weird was that? <laughs> because two years later, I'd played the same song on Conan O'Brien. Right. <laughs> do you remember who the, the speaker was at the Gallatin graduation? No. Because when you're a performer, you're, or was I on stage? You were no, 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 because no, I, I stage, the guy I had who was this, this blue shirt on, but I was so nervous. <laughs> all I remember I is remember. that because there's the all school graduation, which yeah. is in Washington Square Park, which is huge. But then yeah. there's the individual schools graduation, and so you have like Tish is at you know Radio City Music Hall. Oh, we were at the gym. Or something. We were in the gym <laughs> at NYU, and our speaker was the guy who founded like a clown college. <laughs> I swear to God. Welcome to individualized study. But Kaki did perform. So that that now negates that joke about how our graduation was in a... I mean, we had Thomas Wolfe. Thomas Wolfe or Tom Wolfe? Tom Wolfe. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And they presented him with a white gown to match his white (laughs) suit that he's known for. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. The film graduation was a little bit smaller. Yeah. <laughs> it was the equivalent of a gym. But another thing that we were talking about before you got here and we were curious about is that Jeff is a, is a big uh, technical metal fan. Okay. Mm-hmm. And just in terms of like, uh, well, why, maybe you should speak for yourself. Have you ever played the Chapman <laughs> stick? Yeah. How do you like it? Well, let me tell you where I played it. I played it in Blue Man Group. Oh, really? Yeah. Which is, uh, we, we could tell a little short best yes, gig ever. Please, please well, do. You know, I went to see Blue Man Group in the late 90s when I was in at NYU, mm-hmm. and I thought it was great. I thought it was cool and weird and special in its own cool way. Now it's this, like, giant mick theater that's, right. you know, <laughs> worldwide. Yeah. But at the I time, remember thinking, like, seeing reviews of the records on, yeah. like, Prague archives yeah. and various, yeah. like, progressive yeah, rock because, because it was, like, it cool was. for Yeah, and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. and, I, and I, I still think it's cool. I, st- I, I think it's just something that, Everyone has a reference to, right, and therefore yeah. kind of can you know whatever. Um, but I, I how did okay? Like I put this together real fast in my mind. But I um, saw the show, really liked it, and I really liked the band. I yeah. thought that was really cool that all this music. And I was like, what are they playing up there? You know, it just didn't sound like anything I'd ever heard. And I was really curious, and uh, found out that it was Chapman Stick and an electric zither. Eventually, I I was friends with another singer-songwriter, and she was in town, and we went to dinner, and I met this guy 
who was the original drummer for Blue Man, whose name is Ian Pei, who is the son of I M Pei. I was <laughs> weird. Yeah. Very cool guy. Yeah. Very, very, very cool guy. And uh Ian invite well, I think I gave Ian a, a CD that I just right. made. Like, no, I didn't have a record label or anything. It was just something I handmade. Gave it to him. And I mentioned that, you know, oh, yeah, well, I do some tapping stuff. So he, without, I don't even know if he listened to the CD. Probably, my guess is maybe, maybe not. Maybe he heard, heard, heard the first track. And then he sent me an email or, or something and said, there are auditions like in two days. We only have them never. So <laughs> if you want to go, and like, I remember thinking, oh my God, I'm going to, one day I'm going to be able to say that I auditioned for Blue Man Group, right? right? So I, I called whoever and I got, uh, I believe I got the first audition. Like they sent another 15 minutes early for me that I could get in. And, um, and I got the job. I was 22. Wow. I Amazing. got the job. Yeah. And, um, I'd never seen a, I'd never literally, Late eyes on a Chapman stick before, which is say, very common. Yeah, for I should listeners. say for the listener what a Chapman stick is. It's, it was created by someone, Emmett Chap- Chapman, Emmett Chapman uh, and you we can fill in if I'm explaining mm-hmm. this wrong. But it's essentially, if you picture a giant guitar neck with no mm-hmm. body, uh, usually twelve strings, uh, 10, 12, 10 to yeah. twelve, and. It's supposed to be the perfect combination of guitar, bass, drums, piano. Is how yeah. he described it, it yeah. at least on the website. But really, it's it's a tapping. I think it's its own thing. It's yeah. a tapping thing. I think it's you can strum it. I think it's its own instrument. The, the pickup is very sensitive, mm-hmm. which makes it fun. You can. There's a lot of cool things you can do with it, right. um, and a lot of uncool things you can do with it. But <laughs> yeah. that's like in, you know, like any instrument. Yeah. Um, Ninety percent of Chapman stick videos on YouTube are. Oh, they're really, <laughs> really, you know, with like a fun backing track. Yes, oh, yeah. exactly. Man. They they are they are pretty special. I don't I do not own one uh, these days. Right. <laughs> but at the time, I had never seen one, and and but they said that was pretty common. Like people who came in with if you had bass and or tapping kind of experience, you could probably get. I've only with seen it. one once, like in like main yeah. drag in Brooklyn yeah. had one once, and like I almost. Bought it in a crazy. Are like, they have got record label money. This is what I'm going to spend it. Yeah. On. They're, they're not. In, they're in expensive. They, they yeah. are expensive. Yeah. They're pretty special. They're a special order kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. But I got yeah. So I got the job, and so that is my chap. My entire Chapman <laughs> playing experience came, and not you know, and that that job meant it was it was pretty fun because uh, you know, I remember <laughs> this is ex- exposing my naivety. <laughs> but when they hired me, they said, okay, the starting pay is 90. And I said, $90,000 a year? And she says, $90 per show. <laughs> Which meant that after you showed up and did what you're supposed to do for like a good five hours, because you got to get there and you got to right. sound check and you get, you know, to go through a bunch of things. And after taxes, you would come home with $60. Right. But for me, that $60 plus a couple gigs here and there. It was enough. Like sure. I quit my other job, which was bartending or uh, uh, co- sorry, no, I never got to bartend. It's co- <laughs> cocktail waitressing uh. and working the door and selling tickets at the Mercury Lounge. Quit that job. Was only working at Blue Man Group and uh, doing gigs. And then eventually wow. the and like I I 
but you know, fully was like signed to Sony, was had been on late night TV. I mean, I still I held on to that blue man job as long as I could because I knew sure. they were gonna fire me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I knew. Saw the writing on the wall. Like I clearly <laughs> I'd already yeah. been reprimanded for not because I was at that point like I just wanted to play my music and you know. Right. Well, we, but it was up, a good job a, to have. Logistically, how many shows a week were you not doing? Not too many. I mean I would do two to three. Okay. So um, they have a, out of eleven. A revolving group. Yeah, of they have a revolving yes. group. Um they I was a, I was the Chapman Stick sub. Um, so yeah. And then you, they gave you a little money to, to learn the show and then I learned it and then you, you play. And I had this, like, I had, you know, I'm a, I'm tiny. So they, I have, everyone has a costume, but my costume was like <laughs> all these big dudes, right? They, you know, they all come in and we have a little band room that we all, you know, put our clothes on in and like, they'd have these these costumes hanging up and then it's like tiny little child, <laughs> like one, onesie i know and that was and you painted your face which i really enjoyed painted uh-huh. it in glow in the dark paints and you got to do something different every night and um it was fun it was a really great gig to put a little little yeah. extra coin in my pocket right to be around music and musicians and interesting people and to play to, a Chapman and play a Chapman in front of an audience every day. Yeah, yeah like, I mean, you're really, you're kind of obscure. Yeah. What's funny is that you're a character, so the audience can see your costume and right. face, and therefore it's not, it's the ultimate hide, you know? Yeah. Right. <laughs> the, no one has any idea if you're male or female right. or if you're, I mean, you can't be seen. Um, but, uh, but it was a lot of fun. It was a really great experience. Well, you, you brought up the major label thing while you were mm-hmm. working. So maybe you can talk about that for a little while because uh, I'm just curious. The stuff that you're – like we were talking about, the stuff you're doing and like you have your points of reference. But do other people yeah. have it? Right. So like – and I know that – so you were on – you released uh, maybe a record or two on I the major. I released a record on Sony. And then you went back Epic. to uh, – Went back to Valor. Yeah. Well, so keep in mind this is 2004 and the major label record industry is – Dying. Yeah. It is just this. I had just been monster. fired from my record label job okay. at Arista Records. So you know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So ba- so that's what was happening. So we got. I mean, we were like, "You've got to be kidding that you're right. signing." You know, we we could we just couldn't believe it, and it was this very particular, and our guy, and I will never really know what made him sign me. I I know it wasn't. This is going to be the next. Big. Well, because also, like, I wonder if you thought, like, just think about that. Like, you talk about all these points of references, and like, I, I like, I know what I hear when I hear your music. But uh-huh. yeah, like, I wonder what an A and R guy is hearing most, when he hears. Well, I mean, he was a good, he was a guitar dude. Right. He'd been, you know, I think he had signed Steve Vai and worked with Jeff Beck. Like, he was, he knew the deal, the mm-hmm. deal, but I don't think he knew how. Like I, I don't, I, I don't know why right. they allowed him to to sign me. Right. You know, I don't think it was. I think I would, I would maybe venture to say it was a vanity project. Sure. Like, mm-hmm. who knows? Like this, this company's got another year in it, right. maybe two. So <laughs> let me spend the I money. Yeah, I think, yeah. It, I think it had something to do with that, maybe. Um, and it was entirely weird. But again, it was, you know, I like I, I made some friends there and I like some other with some other artists who were, and they were like, oh, yeah, well, we we have to change her wardrobe and we have to do, you know, they sort of had to like manage this uh-huh. stuff. But I was so totally different that right. no one was interested. Like, what are they going to tell me to change on an on <laughs> instrumental guitar record? Like, right. oh, you know, you need to like maybe you know play that in 30 second notes and not 16 <laughs> right. like whatever it's just it was so 
So I was really kind of free to just do what I yeah. pleased. And then we didn't even get dropped from the label because everyone that had ever worked with us by that point had been fired. And there was no one to call to say, right. like, so you're not picking up the option, right? Like, so I assume that this relationship is up. There yeah. was literally, we had no contact. There was no phone number. There was no nothing. I mean. It's like, well, <laughs> that was cool. I'm yeah. out of here. Like that- every, it was a sinking ship and people were, ja- it was, it was Sorry. Are you like still yeah. technically signed no. to Sony? <laughs> I, I think at some point we finally got some legal person yeah, or right. whatever. But oh my god, that's so, that's so weird. Yeah. Well, but I'm I'm just grateful the rec- the record came out because yeah. for a lot of people, I mean, I knew people who at, like the, because they were so stupid. They thought that if you throw money at things, yes. that that will, we can solve our problems if yes. you just give throw money. So I I mean I knew bands with million dollar deals. But yeah. Still. I mean, I had a pretty substantial deal myself for the record that we could have made sure. for, you know, $5 for sandwiches. I mean, <laughs> yeah. like, it wasn't that complicated. Yeah. Yeah. I, when I worked at, I worked at Arista, I was a temp there, but for two and a half years. Oh, wow. Because they would allow me to go on tour, so I never went mm, permanent. And, yeah. like, I just got it through a temp agency, but I worked in A&R Admin. Oh, so wow. I was just the person who paid all the bills. <laughs> and especially coming from, like, a punk basement scene uh-huh. mm-hmm. i was like what are you people doing because yeah like the model was like clearly did like i think i was talking to you the other day just the fact that they would they would master every single mix like of anything of so they anything. just like they were just like oh i think we need the snare a little bit higher but we should also master it like they would pay, then go to the fucking hit factory like yeah. master it like the because I, I would pay the bills like like the amount they spent on car services because oh it was also God. like a hip-hop label like the car service bill was my <laughs> entire absurd. our entire Vice Atlantic yeah. like record yeah. contract yeah. for like one artist for like a blue Cantrell or something who like put out one song and then I know and then disappeared yeah, yeah. it was uh, the it business was models Boys were... to Men Fat Camp that was my favorite bill to ever play <laughs> they had a hunk comeback record called Fat Camp no they had to go to Fat Camp oh <laughs> Because they hadn't put out a record in a while. And they had gained, gained a little weight. And That's... they needed to be photo ready. So, so I paid the bills. Arista paid for their fat camp? Yeah. Because it was like, it was in I had the no marketing idea that. plan. There I mean, I remember being flown yeah. first class for the first time and last time ever. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I would never. I mean, I'm not, I'm small, so I don't need. I mean, I think first class is the biggest ripoff yes. in course, history. Yeah. Yes. But when you're, when someone else is paying for it. But I just, I was like, yeah. why are they paying for me yeah. to fly first class? Like, this doesn't even, can they just give, I'll take the money. I'll save them that money and just take right. the balance. Like, are you right. kidding me? Yeah. That's it. You, yeah, you, yeah. Well, I and think, you know, because it was always like, it's no offense to the artist. You yeah. all deserve it if they're, if they could afford to do what they're doing. Well, yeah. you know, I but think that I, I knew what was happening, but the culture took a long time yes. to catch up. You know, yeah. the culture, like, I think some artists would be incredibly offended. Yeah. You know, if they had been asked to have anything less than all the stuff they'd been given for a long time, which makes sense. You know, they like artists would not be <laughs> Whitney Houston. You know, artists were making Whitney them did. a lot of money and, and, but at the same time, you know, in a, in a situation where artists were getting not a lot back, right. That, you know, the perks were, that was part of what, you know, I mean, if you weren't going to pay for my fat camp, then why yeah, would I even talk to you? Exactly. There's another record label. It's not yeah. going to give me any more money, but they'll pay for my fat camp. Yeah. yeah. I mean, great. Whitney Houston's advance for her last record oh, was insane. I remember like paying it in chunks and like, and, and then it sold like 2000 the first week or so. Oh, it was some God. crazily yeah. low number and they were just all just like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Like by all my bosses. And then I think that week I was like, can I get a raise? Uh, <laughs> I'm getting paid $12 an hour here. Um, so, uh, uh, so you get like, uh, 
I think almost more than almost anyone else, like, um, you get amazing press and Thanks. you, you, uh, you've critically. Because I hate the press. <laughs> well, I'm, <laughs> I'm curious if like, is there an adverse effect to getting oh, God. so, so like so much press? About, well, yes, obviously. And I mean, I, I look at my press and I absolutely, you can hear my eyes roll from like across <laughs> the TV. Like it's so, you know, because what happens is, you know, a couple of people or organizations or magazines will say something that is r- just totally hyperbolic about you, but you still, like, I'm not trying to make, you know, I'm still trying to catch the eye of some, you know, promoter in f- Germany who's like, oh, right. it's a goddess of guitar, rolling stone, you know, whatever. <laughs> and I, and so I, you know, and so the PR people like get their heads together. And of course, you know, like, Yes, so there are there are t- there are many many things that have been said, and especially I feel like it's this, like the guitar god or the shredder thing, like this this language that surrounds guitar is abs- it's crazy, it's yeah. totally absurd. It is the not- singer of my band is the photo editor of Guitar World. Oh God, and guitar aficionado. Yeah, and so I hear a lot of all of that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's but because really... he also is just like this is dumb. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he'll really always be dumb. like Steve Vai just showed up today. Guy's an ass. He's like, but everyone, she's shredding like a crazy person. Like, you know, I mean, but it's not. It's I. It 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 is really painful to, because what happens is, you know, then I go to some festival and then they printed this god awful quote from some ridiculous, you know, whatever. And and you know, I think that it's it it's upsetting because then suddenly I'm the one that said it. You know, it's mm-hmm. not like, oh, someone else said it and then some PR guy used it and now it's on the internet. So who knows where it came from? But it's like, oh, khaki. So you call yourself a guitar goddess. And I was like, I have never ever said that. <laughs> that is the worst thing I've ever heard. It doesn't even make sense. It's really upsetting. Can we not talk about yeah. it? And then they want to talk about why I'm upset about it. And, you know, so yeah, I, I, I think that there is, um, there, it, he, I don't know. I mean, press is such a very loose word these days. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's also part of the problem is that you don't really have qual, the pool of, of qualified journalists who are music editors and writers who really know what they're doing is so small and the access to those people is so much more limited and the access to anyone that has ever, you know, written anything cool about music on the internet. That, that's just much larger. And so people tend to not. Right be as accurate right well because it's also it's it's uh, yeah it's it's problematic that it's still like people can still be like oh well people are saying this but the what the pool that they're pulling from is like hundreds of thousands of just random people online yeah it's like but what and you always now i feel like i always have to qualify like like i'll just be talking about something related with like my wife or something and then she'll be like oh well people are saying and i'm like who yeah, like who? Exactly. Like literally, yeah. like who said that movie's bad? Like yeah. if it was like some random blog, like it doesn't hold as much weight. It's not there aren't the Lester fans or whoever of there. Well, that's the weird part. part like of... people don't see that it's yeah. uh, different. Yeah, right. I uh, get it. I just always thought, you know, if, uh, you know, because I was not above reading my press, good, bad, or indifferent, and you know, if it was critical. If, if there was a point to me, oh, I can see how this, or this person speaking out of the, out their ass, you know, and this bums me out. Um, oh, but this person wrote this nice thing and this is really great. Mm-hmm. Um, now I feel validated, mm-hmm. you know. And so that's why I'm just, I'm curious, cause well, I, you know, that there's, it, there's I, I, a lot of times I, I do, um, I, I typically just don't. 
bother because it's so sometimes it's so inaccurate and there's so much mm-hmm. bad writing about my guitar playing that I really just get I can't bother to be get to get upset. Mm-hmm. Um I I do welcome I mean I I think that I'm probably my my worst critic so it's sure. almost like I don't need to invite any more um down on myself. I do try like I know what's a good gig and what's a bad gig. Like I know if I've slept for two hours and had to get on a plane or what, you know, whatever it is. And that ends up being a little more shaky. Like I know it, I'm not, I don't have to read it about, about it the next day to sort of know that there are some things that might've been a little off, but typically, you know, the, the, the really good shows don't, they come from a combination of having your shit so down and it's so much just in your fingers and in your muscles you're not thinking about it and then you use all that extra energy that's in your brain to really feel the audience and to really Mm -hmm. give them something and you know and the room is nice and warm and people are really into it and you're playing so well i mean you just like that's when the next level can kind of come and so you know there's also a thing that i mean i have played so many gigs i have played so many gigs and there have been some incredible gigs and there have been some not great gigs but the for the most part they've been good and i think that over time you realize that that one bad review is not going to make or break your career of course right you know like it's just not worth it getting worked up about this or what song title they got wrong or what you know impression they had that was totally wrong about what i was doing like it's just not worth it mm-hmm. to 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 sort of you know so i think for the last few years i've really avoided that um you know but if people write in on facebook and they're like they got questions and they have right. comments you know I, yeah. I i i appreciate that but um you know like i'll have personally invited a friend to come on the road with me to open up and then someone after the show will be like next time i hope you get a better opener i mean that girl was terrible i don't know who i don't know where she came from and i'm like yeah that she's pretty much awesome and you know people are just gonna tell you whatever they feel like telling you and it's um yeah speaking of um song titles working you know kind of uh you know, mainly as an instrumental artist, like, do you place a certain amount of weight on the song title? I think that weight gets placed after the fact. Mm-hmm. Because what happens with song titles is that you make a record, there's no, ti- for me, there's no titles. I make mm-hmm. record, there's maybe some loose versions, but it's, you know, it's usually like a song in D or yeah. a, a thumping song, you know, it's <laughs> just really descriptive, basic stick song. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Those are <laughs> so many of those. And, um, you know, and then you are, then you have, you know, the process of putting your art together and getting all that ready for the records pretty fast. Mm-hmm. That, it always has been for me, this sort of window of like, okay, ready to go, da da da, to get it done. And so I've always had to name songs kind of at the last second. And that's why they always end up being so weird. Right. Um, and I think over time, like, I think a song like Doing the Wrong Thing, like that, that title and that song combined have really started to, it's really meant something yeah. to people. Mm-hmm. I think things that are total gibberish have people have found meaning in them, you know, things like holding the severed self, like that absolutely has no meaning to it whatsoever. <laughs> I just liked how it sounded. Yeah. And, you know, but people have been like, I get that, like your part of you is cut off from you, but you're trying to hold on to it. And I'm like, I love that you hear that. I love sure. that you see that. I love that the music speaks to something in, in that sense. And so it really becomes, I think the art, if we could say mm-hmm, in course, quotations, yeah. comes from how people take the song and the title and what they get out of that. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. I just know personally, like, you know, being a big Leo Kotke fan mm-hmm. and, and just 
the fact that he has these amazing song titles and they're, you know, just like, it seems right. like there's almost, there's a, because he's not necessarily worrying about lyrics or necessarily how mm-hmm. it'll relate or, you know, he can just come up with these like badass song yeah. titles that are like awesome. And, I always like doing for instrumental ones, what, like literally, like what is the first thing that pops in my brain almost? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. in like, just like, like all of a sudden, you're, like I've got one side, it's like the waxing and waning of a blood red moon. <laughs> But it doesn't have anything. It was just like that. Yeah. I was just literally like, just saying that. I was like, like, well, for some reason that popped in. I guess yeah. that's what the, the two Metallica uh, instrumentals, Orion and yep. Call of Cthulhu, are yeah. amazing. I just yeah. love those song titles. Well, they yeah, are. Call of Cthulhu is that's that Lovecraft. speaks to yes, and it's beautiful. That that speaks to something that that a lot of sci-fi nerds could get into. Yeah, but sure. Orion, that <laughs> song could sound like anything. Yes. yes. You know, and, and I think that the fact that you remember the name is because you like the song. Yeah. yeah. You know, and I think that that says oh, a lot. totally. I'll yeah. say when they played it at the Big Four, it's one of the best things I've ever seen. Orion. <laughs> yeah. When they actually whipped it out, I was just like, oh my God. Like, because they never play it. <laughs> I, think it was, I think it was actually Fleming Rasmussen's production work on those <laughs> records that stuck with me. Um, so, Kaki, a question that we, uh, we do ask, we've been asking our guests yeah. this year. And you can answer this personally, professionally, whatever. What's the worst thing about you that you'd <laughs> like to change? Ooh, wow. Wow. All right, give me a minute. There's, <laughs> there's so many. No, I, it's funny. I'm actually, um, I think that I have changed a lot, especially in the last few years. I, you know, I got married. I'm expecting a kid. And there's some things that, like, I gotta say, when you are, uh, under pressure, mm-hmm. th- your little defaults can mysteriously disappear overnight because suddenly you're just not allowed to be, right. you know, like I, uh, would have said maybe, like, a, like a couple years ago, I would have said, oh, I kind of have a weird sleep schedule. Like I sleep, I stay up too late. I sleep too late. I don't get a lot done during, you know, and now it's like, I, you know, that that changed immediately when I met right. my wife. It was right. like she's a she's a doer, so we're gonna mm-hmm. get up and do, and that's you know. So, um, God, I'm gonna say what the the worst thing I'd like to change about myself. Um, I think that I uh, I'm not great at time management still, yeah. and I think that this is something that plagues a lot of creative people, especially when uh, the the practice of creating is. Like sometimes it involves a certain amount of just daydreaming and mm-hmm. doing nothing until the idea comes to you and suddenly you're doing something. And I, and I think that structuring that is really hard. Yeah. So for many, many years, I never structured it. I just let it happen. And then eventually songs were written and albums right. were done and tours were, you know, like things happened. And I think that as I uh, grow into a place in my life where my time is suddenly limited and, and I'm needed by a lot of other things, that is the thing I'd like to change the most. Right. Yeah, um, it's such a fine line. I find it such a fine line sometimes for me between I'm allowing myself the right amount of time mm-hmm. to be creative and be daydreaming, and then I'm also just pushing it. Yeah, to where I'm just procrastinating. Yeah, and dicking around. Well, it's really hard. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's really hard to explain to someone. Like, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to go in this room and, and get some work done, and mm-hmm. then she, my, she'll find me a couple hours later just zoning right in some <laughs> right. stupid internet world right. that i can't even you know chapman stick video yeah, yeah. and talking. she's like oh, i thought you were getting work done and it's like nah, i am right but you're, but you're right i'm not and i think that the people who i've seen over the years who are really who really are able to do that they they somehow tap into their emotions much quicker right and they're kind of more present in, right and 
they don't have to live out their drama. Yeah. But somehow they're still right there with like, oh, yeah, okay. That's where I think a lot of therapy comes in for me. It's like trying to get to where I can be to that, or I don't have to like just be in this like angry zone all the time or get to that angry zone. Because I also was listening recently on some podcasts and someone talking about writing just in terms of like a pilot, Mm -hmm. but how they work in like, like they'll work like, uh, like even like the studios like work in like, well, it takes three months, but they're, they've got in their minds that those two, there's like two months of, self-reflection yeah it's amazing and and i and i think that there's such a big value on that at the same time you're right like the dicking around Mm -hmm. i mean but some of that's important but i think again like it's really easy to have that and have that freedom when you're single or your life's just sort of you know what wherever you are at a certain place or you don't have as much financial pressure you don't have as much whatever it is whatever it is that speaks to you and suddenly i'm like i would love to be able to kind of walk away each day knowing that I've, you know, quote, accomplished something, yes. which again is very vague. Like, you know, I think learning some old Brazilian sambas on my guitar mm-hmm. or some old, you know, Bossa Nova classics is very helpful in some vague, strange way that might right. not occur to me for another sure. 10 years, you know, but I, again, it's the, I, I think time management in a creative process is uh it's my Achilles heel at the yeah. moment. Sometimes I have to have my wife remind me that I did something. Like yeah. or she'll be like, That actually sounds like you accomplished a lot today. I'm like, No. Yeah. It was a waste of time. <laughs> well, but there's also, you know, it, I think that de- there's nothing better for me than a deadline. But yeah. a real yeah. deadline. Not yes. something well by Friday I have to yeah. have yes. you know, a, I mean I am so productive when I when it comes down to it and and that's kind of you know how do I manufacture like how do I convince my brain that the world is absolutely going to end if I don't yes. get this thing done Ugh. well but working in vacuums is hard but definitely yeah. um listen you've given us these amazing amazing tales You're so welcome so glad we finally did it question that we that we do ask speaking of time management yeah I'm glad <laughs> I've, um question that we ask all of our guests what do you think of the word gig, gig. Uh, <laughs> do, uh, I use it. Um, to ref- I think a lot of people use it. I don't. I don't. I, don't, I have no problem with it. Perfect. <laughs> no problem with it at all. That's do other people. Uh, you don't want to get us started talking yeah. talk about a wormhole. Every, it's it's a word that evokes uh, reactions across really? the board. Yeah, people. And it depends. It just depends. On- I I like it when people call jobs gigs, mm-hmm. and I like it when gigs feel like jobs. I mean, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, I got to, like, I feel like when I say I have a gig to go to, people are like, ooh, la, 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 <laughs> Miss Fancy Pants with her guitar. <laughs> right. You know, but when I'm like, I have to go to my job, right. it's yeah. a bit, I think when the, those words are in, intermingled, it's, right. it's helpful. Yeah. I, Perfect. I will accept that. All right. Um, I'll put that in the exception. Look, accept you. you know, you, you came long and far to get here. <laughs> and so just pro- all the way across all the way look i don't know how long it's going to take you to get home but yeah. just from, i got a good idea from from jeff and i we want you to get home safe i will thank you worst gig ever, ever.